Welcome to the Gathering Chattanooga's audio resources. This message is part of a teaching from the Gospel of Mark. For more information on the gathering or to find additional resources, visit gatheringchattanooga.com. Again, that's gatheringchattanooga.com. And please consider subscribing to this podcast. We hope you enjoy and that God blesses you richly through the teaching of His Word. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you've not already done so, to what you heard read just a few minutes ago. Mark chapter 4. Continuing our series in the book of Mark. As we spend some really good quality time looking at who Jesus is, listening to his words, all of these words in red. Yours is like mine. And we are in the fourth chapter where Jesus has turned his attention toward teaching. Or I should say Mark as he puts together these things to tell this account. Puts these these, uh, stories together in order to reveal who Jesus is and specifically the kingdom of God. And so he both continues and then he will conclude this section on this teaching using parables. And again a parable is a short story. Generally using common themes, people, things that people would easily grab onto and be able to understand that part. And he uses that to teach an aspect, generally, of the kingdom of God. I said last week that it's different than, um, different than other types of stories, other types of uh, uh, word pictures. Because oftentimes you will see a lot of different things that come out in the stories, in the way they are used. But in a, a parable, it is different because it's generally one theme. And they can serve to either enlighten people or they can confuse them, depending on the purpose. So Jesus makes clear that those who are hardened to the gospel, they're not going to hear much more than a mystery, a riddle. It would be like a little an enigma when they listen to this. And they don't, they don't hear anything but the story. So in the parable last week where there's this talk about the soils... And Jesus says, essentially, a farmer goes out and he spreads some, some seed. There are four different types of, of soil. Here's this soil, this soil, this soil, this soil. Anybody that has ears to hear, let him hear. And if you don't get anything deeper than that, you're going to walk away going, I have no idea what guy just heard. Well, what's his point? Why are we here? Why are we listening to this guy? He didn't say anything. He just confused us. But to those who have ears to hear are going to understand because God has granted them the secret of the kingdom. That's what he said. That's what Jesus said in verse 11. And that's why verses 13 uh, through 21 or 20, uh, yeah, 20, 13 through 20, Jesus explains the parable. He says, this is what it means. This is the significance. This is the purpose. I'm explaining it to you because you've been given the, uh, you've been granted to understand the mystery of the kingdom. And I wanted to reemphasize something I said last week too. That just because you hear it doesn't mean you're going to understand it. Everybody in America, if you were here last week, you remember me saying, uh, everybody in America at least has some sort of access to the gospel. Many people have read this story. They've, they've heard this story uh, spoken and explained through verses 13 through 20. And they still leave going, I don't get it. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. 
And so it's still true that those who have ears to hear are going to hear, going to understand, and it's going to change their lives. And so that's where we are. And we move then into this, the second, third, and the fourth parables. And the, you know, the one that he comes out with is about light. So he talks about a lamp. Is it, brought out into, uh, it, is it brought out in order to be put under a basket or a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? So he starts this point uh, obviously giving an intentionally absurd statement or asking an intentionally absurd statement. What is a light for? Do you bring out a light to stick it under a bed? Well, no. For one reason, they used real flames. You put it under a bed, poof, it's over. But beyond that, that's not its purpose. That's not what it's supposed to do. It is supposed to give light. Otherwise, there's no point. There's no point to even bringing out the lamp. There's no point to going to the work of lighting it and bringing it. It's not its purpose to be put under a covering. But the thing that we see here in verse 22 is that there's something that is hidden that is going to be revealed. He says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And so there's, there's a purpose of something that is going to be revealed. And so the question is, what is that thing? What is it that Jesus is getting at? What do we understand about this lamp? What's going on here? And I think that there are some clues in this text, in this verse that we need to see. When you go back to verse 21... You don't really see it in most of the English translations. So it says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? But if you look at that in the Greek, where this is an indirect, I mean, this is an indefinite article, is a lamp. It's just general. Is there a lamp? Would you bring out a lamp to do this? But in the Greek, there's a definite article there. Is the lamp. Is the lamp. So it's talking about a specific lamp. What lamp is it? Well, if we go on, we see that Mark puts this in the subjective case. This is where the lamp is the subject. When you look in the other Gospels, it's not. It's the object. But this is the the subject of the sentence. So the lamp is going to do something. The lamp has a purpose. And then also in this text, in the Greek, the word that is used here for brought is literally and more usually used as to come or to go. Not brought, but to come or to go. So if we were to look at this literally, it would read something more like, does the lamp come to be put under a basket? Does the lamp come to be put under the basket? And I think the implication clearly leads to the lamp representing a person more than an object. We're talking about a person. Who is the person? Who would we, he be talking about? Who, who is the lamp that comes and not to be put under a basket, but to be put up on the lampstand? And I believe that contextually, based on all the teaching we've seen, all the things that we know about Jesus, we know all the way back in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus himself said the first words that he speaks in this book are, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. Well, what is it that we know came near? Jesus. The coming of Jesus is the coming of the kingdom of God. So contextually, we conclude that Jesus is talking about himself. Because all of these parables point to Jesus. So Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the one that we are talking about. So if we look at this, what's the point? What, What is he getting at here? 
I believe it is that the secret of the kingdom is Jesus who has only been revealed to those who are hearing, who have been given ears to hear, and they are using them. Verse 23, that's what we get. Verse 23 reads, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. What are they doing? They are considering Jesus. They're listening to the message. They listen with ears that want to understand. They listen to ears who believe what he says, that he is the promised Messiah, and for all others he is concealed. So what Jesus is saying is that for the time being, his identity is being hidden. Why? Why would his identity, well, why would he come this way? I believe on one level it's because he had a mission which was not to become or not to come as a great commander, not to come as a great conquering king, not to come in the way that most of the Jews were expecting and wanting the Messiah to come as a military leader who would take over and run the, the Romans out and set up the Jews, set up Israel as, as a kingdom here on earth. That's not why he came. Instead, he came to redeem mankind through his rejection and death. And if he comes in as a conquering hero, as a king in all of his splendor and glory, Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to reject him on that level so that getting to the cross probably isn't going to happen because he will be the great conqueror. Yet he also talks about an eternal reality. And in the same way as, as other uh, analogies are used that Jesus cannot be conformed to old garments and wineskins, neither can he be placed under a basket or a bed. He will not remain hidden. Though for a time he is hidden, for a purpose he will not remain hidden. He is not subordinated to anything, but is supreme over all and the light by which people are able to see and be saved. He is the redeemer. He is the one conqueror, conqueror but he is the one who comes as savior. Verses 24 and 25 and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And more will be added to you. For whoever has more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. In the context of what is being uh, taught here, what he is saying, those who have ears to hear now will receive even more understanding. They will have more of a revelation of Jesus. They will grow more in a real relationship with Jesus. They will continue listening for the voice of God and trust in Jesus. While those who have heard the gospel, they've been exposed to the gospel. Maybe they grew up in church. They may have been in a church all their lives. And yet they remain at arm's length to Jesus. They remain far off from Jesus. And they grow more and more hard-hearted and they will eventually grow callous to the gospel. There are a lot of people who have grown up in the church but walked away because they kept hearing the gospel. They kept hearing the gospel. They may have even walked an aisle. They may have even signed some card that said, I, I give Jesus my life but haven't really trusted in him. Have never really given him control. And so for them, the more they hear the gospel, the more it just kind of glazes them over. And it has no effect. And so eventually they leave and they walk away callous and hard-hearted. This is why the writer of Hebrews emphasized the importance of not hardening your heart if you hear his voice. Today, he says, is the day of salvation. 
If you hear the gospel and you understand it, if you understand that Jesus came to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to take your debt of sin to the cross, to die in your place, to be resurrected so that, so that you also could be resurrected and not die an eternal death, but live forever with him in heaven. If you hear that and believe it, then trust him. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait and don't allow your heart to grow hard to the gospel. But even so, in the end, he will be fully seen. He will be fully revealed to all mankind of all times. Because there will come a time, Philippians tells us, Paul tells us in, in Philippians, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even those who have grown callous, even those who have rejected, even those who have disbelieved one day will, like all the demons that are on their way to hell, will still confess him. You are the son of God. They cannot say you are my savior, but they can say you are the son of God. And in horrible regret, they will be separated for, forever from him. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but believe and repent, and you will be adopted into the family of God. Today is the day of salvation. And he turns to this third parable in verses 26 through 29. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. So he's going to give us a, an illustration. Kingdom of God is like this. Here's, here's what it's like. A man scatters seed on the ground. So we've got this second parable, uh, is an, uh, this third parable, that is another farmer throwing seed. All right, that's the first parable. A farmer goes out and he sows seed. He just scatters it everywhere. Here in this parable, you've got a sower, a, a farmer, that goes out and he just throws it everywhere. So you've got the same basic setup, but different emphasis, different uh, purposes for this, very different from the first one. That one was about the importance of truly hearing and responding to Jesus. Hearing the gospel. Hearing what Jesus says and responding to it. And following him and his call to discipleship. So the first three types, it was four types of soil. I mentioned that earlier. We looked at it in depth last week. The first type, the first three types of soil that we looked at, we kind of summarized and said those were all, all four were about hearing. But the first three were people who didn't really hear. Other things crowded out the gospel, so they didn't really hear. It didn't stay in them. It didn't have an effect on their lives. But that fourth one, the seed fell on good soil. And I told you that in the Greek, the way it is written out, it's they heard the gospel and they kept on hearing. They, they received the gospel, they kept on receiving. So that the gospel wasn't something that just hit them. Like I talked about it a minute ago where you come to church, you just hear the gospel and you glaze over and you go and do something else because you've fallen away. The soil is bad. The good soil, hear, they hear the gospel and they keep living the gospel every day. They understand that Jesus is here to save them, but not just save them, but to carry them daily, to walk with him daily. The gospel, they keep holding on to the gospel every day. Every day when they get up and they realize, you know what, I'm a sinner today too. I'm still not getting it right. Man, I've been doing this thing for a long time, and I'm still not getting it right. Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy. So that I need the gospel today, many, many years after trusting in Jesus, 
just like I did the first day that I heard it and repented. And so the gospel not only saves, it sustains. And this, this is what he's talking about here, that, that those types of soil, that type of soil is that hearing and going on kind of hearing. This story is different. It emphasizes the nature of the good soil. Really focuses in on that good soil and it talks about its nature. Verses 26 and 27, the kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and he grows, although he doesn't know how. So even though the the seed is scattered, right? It's, It's the same kind of kind of a haphazard way. You go out and you're not like, oh, I want that seed there. Okay, I want this seed there. That's taking it way too, I mean, really. And I know people like that. But this, he just goes out, he's like, there we go. Yep, you know, there you go. It's like feeding pigs, right? It's like, oh, go get it. Go get it where you, just scatters it. Seems very haphazard. It seems like there's no purpose to it. But so even though it's scattered, the soil produces the fruit independent of the seed. Now, if we're looking at the analogy and we can kind of figure this out, we understand that the seed then would be, uh, that that the seed would be the human action. Where it's like seed goes out and, and there is this responding to it and there's doing something. But this is independent from any human interaction, which paradoxically implies intent so you've got scattering and yet somehow there's intent with the scatterer that there's a purpose that there's a a reason there's a meaning for this so that the gospel is scattered broadly but it intentionally produces fruit in certain soil and that's by design it emphasizes the power of the of God to overcome opposition to the gospel and accomplish his purpose in redemption. Now, if you think through that a little bit, you might go, isn't that a bit of a contradiction? You know, you've got the first parable is all about, you hear the gospel, you respond. The second parable is about, the soil does it without my intervention. So it's like, how can it be that I have to respond to the gospel, but the gospel does its stuff on its own without me? Is that contradictory? I believe, no. God gives you faith. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians, uh, it, it is a gift of God. Faith is a gift. So God gives you faith, but then says that you must exercise that faith which has been given you, and then he accomplishes that which he has started in you. So that's one aspect of the, king, of the mystery of God's kingdom. And you may not understand it, But it's not contradictory as scripture teaches both. There is man's responsibility, but it's all God's work. How does that work? Can't fully explain it to you. But both are there. It can also seem contradictory that the world keeps getting more godless. And yet, at the same time, we're told that the kingdom continues to expand. How is it that the world can be going in the tank, and yet the kingdom of God is expanding, that we're getting more godless, and yet the kingdom is coming. Well, things are not always as they seem, are they? Let's just go back to the cross. 
the cross, if you take it at face value, you see Jesus who came and said he was Lord of all. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah coming to deliver his people. And now he is a bloody mess, murdered on a cross. He's hanging there, gasping for breath in the process of dying. It looks at face value like that is a picture of ultimate defeat. But if you understand the gospel, you know it's actually the picture of ultimate victory. Right? Even though all had broken down, all was lost apparently. When Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say, I lost. Well, I tried, but it is finished. It's over. He said, it is finished. It has been paid in full. I've won. Victory has been sealed. That is the nature of the gospel. That's the nature of the kingdom. That even though it seems like all might be falling apart, God is in control. And this is encouraging when it feels like the world is turning into one big dumpster fire, which it kind of does, doesn't it? I just, I just see the meme, right? With the fire and the dumpster and the fire. That's, that's, that's like the, the world in which we're living right now. It may seem like God's kingdom is actually retracting in the world. As though things were much better years ago. Do you remember how long ago it seemed like everybody went to church? It seemed like everybody had kind of the same sort of morals. And if you did something wrong, you were like shunned from society. It was like that was, you know, you're, you do not do that in good company, in good, in good society. And now those are the things that are acceptable to Norman right. And if you have a set of biblical morals, you're the one who is shunned from society. That's the way it seems like it's going. And it seems like that it happens generationally, it just gets worse. Every generation has that thing, you know, that we say, kids these days, right? Our parents said it about us, and we say it about our kids, not literally. We say it about our generation of, of kids. And you know what? They're going to say it about their kids, you know, it's just, it's what we do. But it seems like it just keeps getting worse. Worse, so that now it's the opposite of all of those things that seemed so good. But what we can be assured of is that God's kingdom is still, still expanding even as cultural Christianity recedes. What am I talking about? Cultural Christianity. It's that thing where everybody went to church whether you needed it or not. Everybody believed in God whether you believed in God or not. Everybody was a Christian whether you thought it was important or not. It's what you did. If you were in politics, man, you went to church. When you retired from politics, you went back to what you did before, which was not go to church quite often. Right? It's, just, it's just the way it was done. Everybody did that. And you wouldn't vote for somebody if they weren't a member of a, a good standing member of a church. Now it doesn't matter. And so this is what we can understand is that cultural Christianity is falling away. Why? Because it costs something. Real Christianity costs. Real Christians have to take stands. And as the culture changes away from biblical Christianity, we can't move. We can't budge because we're standing on the truth. And it matters. And so, yes, cultural Christianity is falling away, but God's kingdom, I think, is getting more and more visible in those who are standing firm. And things might get more difficult, but are we going to stand firm? True believers will, because it's not a fad. It's not a country club. It's not something to get you elected. It's not something to make you look good. It's who you are, because you have been redeemed from who you were. 
And so how do you go back to who you were if that person has been crucified with Christ? And you are now a new creature. How do you go back to that? You don't. Unless it never was you in the first place. And then it's no problem. You're going to go along the path of least resistance. So yes, there is a change. Yes, there are difficult days coming. But the kingdom of God is expanding. And we don't know how bad things are going to get. We have no idea. But from time to time we get glimpses. We get little hints that God is at work. Sometimes we'll see somebody who we thought was so far gone, man. They were, they were out there and something happens in their lives and they're, they're transformed in some way and the gospel yields results even when we have no idea how it happened. That person was so gone. How in the world did they change? How in the world are they not who they were anymore? And we're not talking about just a change of lifestyle. We're thinking a change of everything, of thinking, of believing, of loving, and, and all of it. What happens? The kingdom of God is, is showing some results. Sometimes it may feel like there's nothing happening in your own life. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're having a difficult time in, in your own life and you get frustrated from the sin that keeps creeping in or maybe you're dealing with and struggling with a short temper or apathy towards God. Remember, the kingdom within you will grow. If you have received Christ, if you have believed and been adopted, the kingdom of God will grow. But it doesn't happen instantly. It is a process. Verse 28. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, and then the full grain on the head. It is a process. So if you if you're going and you're growing strong, you're like, well, the blades come up. This is awesome. I'm growing. I'm experiencing this growth. And then something hits you and it's like winter comes and you're just like, oh, this is rough, man. You're still growing. The kingdom of God is still having its effect. The gospel is still growing in you. And discipleship is a process. And so when the tough times come, when the storms come, when, whether they're external or internal, whatever it is, if you're struggling then you need to make sure that you're with other people who are growing together and who are going through struggles, but also go back to the gospel and say, wait, this is a process. This is, it's a setback. What do you do? You come back to Jesus. Why? Because the gospel has changed you. Jesus has transformed you. And it's not who you were before. And that is amazingly encouraging and important to remember. God has a plan and it will not be undermined he is in control. We're not always going to see or understand what God is up to. But we can be sure that he is at work. That he is sowing the seed and it will bear its own fruit. And one day he will come back as the harvester and take us home. Verse 29 tells us, as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Man, that is not good news. That is not good news if you are among the hardened. If you're among those who have grown hardened and callous to the gospel and you've never really trusted Jesus, that is not a good day. Because that is the day where all of that chaff, the Bible says, will be gathered up and thrown into the fire. 
But for those who believe, for those who have been transformed by the gospel, that is a glorious day that we look forward to. That's when we get to go home. That's when we get out of this dumpster fire. And we're, and we're brought into the kingdom as it is seen, as we see it with our eyes. Our fam, man, Karen and I lost a, a dear friend this last week. And, and we thought through, there's like, man, he got to go home. We're the ones who are still here. We're the ones who are still struggling. We're the ones that are still going through this difficult life. He made it. That's the perspective when you understand that the harvester is here to take you home. And he will come again. It's all his work. We can't help it and we can't hinder it, which is great news. It will happen. As Isaiah 46 verses 9, the second part of 9 through 10 God makes a declaration. He says, I am God and no one is like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. Isn't that encouraging to hear? If you know Jesus as as gracious and merciful, if you know that God loves you, that God has this plan that, yes, yeah, going to take you through some really dark times, but ultimately you're going to make it home. And that God says, it can't be thwarted. You can't stop it. It's immovable. It's unshakable. And I declare the end from the beginning. And, you know, that's bold, isn't it? Right? That would be pretty bold for you and me. Wouldn't it? If we're, we're just like, I'm going to tell you exactly how this is going. Here's, here's how this is going to shake out. I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. Now watch. Let's go. I mean, you're just like, whoa, wait, wait there, pal. But God says, I can declare the, the end from the beginning because everything I will to happen is going to happen. Whose side do you want to be on now? Who is it that you want to listen to? Who is it you want to stay close to? Logically, if for no other reason, logically, going with God. But with that, you get so much more. You get all that he is, it's yours. You get all of Jesus. This is the kingdom that will be accomplished. And this is where Jesus is going with this next parable. This is probably the most famous one. It's the parable of the mustard seed, right? It's one that... that if you went to Sunday school as a kid, you, you heard about the mustard seed, the parable of the mustard seed. So he says, uh, with what can we care, compare the kingdom of God or, or what parable can we use to describe it? So he's like, okay, let's do another picture. Let's do another word picture. We're going to do, what can we use here? Now, let me ask you a question. If you were going to do this, what would you use? If I ask you, hey, how would you describe the kingdom of God? How would you, in your mind, how would you explain this? What, just think for a second. What, what do you think you would use? Because I know if it were me, I, I'd probably be saying something like, well, it's pearly gates and streets of gold and God on his throne and the train of his, of his robe that's going filling the temple and all these images, right? It's something grand and something glorious. Or maybe I want to turn to nature, which is what Jesus does here. What would I pick? What would you pick? The, the first thing that came to my mind is those redwood trees in California. Have you seen them? I haven't. I've seen pictures. I've never been, I've never been there. But 
I hear they're big. There's one with a tunnel and a car goes through. That's a big, solid tree. And it was that big. I don't know if it's still there. But it's that big so that they tunnel through it and all that's left are the sides and you're still willing to drive your car through that? With that over your head, that's a strong tree. Right? So the redwood tree is what I would pick, man. It's like, yes, that's the kingdom of God, unmovable, unshakable. You don't have a saw big enough for that one, man. Where does Jesus go? Verse 31, a mustard seed. Really? Are we lacking a little creativity today? I mean, is what a mustard seed? And Jesus said, like, he's, it's more impressive. It's like, this is the smallest seed. Now, for those of you who, whatever you do, where you know trees and seeds and stuff, which is not me, I do know that, that, was, that that's not the actual smallest seed that you can find. There are smaller seeds. So is Jesus wrong? No. But in the time, in that day, that was the one that was understood as be the smallest. They didn't hear it. They didn't know about any other seeds. And so Jesus just goes with it. He doesn't go, oh, wait, let me give you a side note. That's not really it. You just haven't discovered it yet. There's a seed that's smaller that kind of misses the point, doesn't it? Instead, he just says, look, Mustard seed, smallest seed. And so he goes with that analogy so that they can at least understand it. Now, I don't think that this really inspires a sense of awe. I, it, and it doesn't fit my picture of the kingdom. Why would he choose that? Jesus could have described the kingdom in those grand terms. It's his kingdom. He left his kingdom to come to this thing. This is its creation, it's glorious, but it's broken too. So Jesus knows what the kingdom is like. Jesus knows what heaven is like. Jesus knows what it's like in the presence of the Father. And he chooses this one. He could have talked about the majesty and the transcendent quality of the kingdom where it's not of this world, it's up there and it's, you can't get there and you, you, you know, there's no path that's going to get you there uh, on your own. He could do that, but he didn't. Instead, he likened it to a simple, ordinary seed. I think this is part of the disguise of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom Jesus doesn't come as royalty on a white horse, the conquering king. He will. So he hadn't come yet like that. Instead, he comes simply and personally. Why is that important? James Edwards says this, Jesus does not tell us how high and lofty God is, but how very near and present he is. And how the routines of planting and harvesting are clues to the nature and the plan of God. How amazing. Jesus talks to us in terms where it is clear to us that he is near us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus in a few weeks. He is with us. God in the flesh shows the compassion of Jesus and his willingness and his desire to give you mercy and show you grace. Verse 32, 
And when sown, it comes up and it grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. So this little seed that could easily be swallowed up by birds, man, they wouldn't, that wouldn't even be a snack, right? It's so small. They're like, oh, that was a mustard seed. Give me about 30 more of those and I'm good for a snack, right? It's like they could easily eat the mustard seed. And yet Jesus says that the mustard seed, and what's what we know, that the mustard grows up to be a large bush a tree. I don't know know what it is. I don't know how you'd characterize that, but with branches big enough that those birds that could eat that seed will come back and nest in it. What a transition. What a transformation. How amazing is that? And some have said that the fact that the Old Testament, specifically in Ezekiel and Daniel, uses the image of a tree growing from a seed in which all the birds of the sky and all the, the beasts of the field come and find shelter in the tree, uh, that it was used to hint at God's work of establishing a people out of all the nations. And I don't know if that's specifically true. I know it is true, though. I don't know if that's specifically where Mark was going with this or specifically what Jesus had in mind. But whether or not it was, it is true. And the wonderful news is that the gospel is for all peoples and there is room in the kingdom for you. From every nation, tribe, and tongue, Jesus calls his people to come to the cross and die so that you can enter the kingdom and live. The kingdom that seems largely absent in our world today will eventually make all things new. Even those like Paul, you remember? This old Saul there. Paul who tried to eat the kingdom or destroy the kingdom like one of those little birds would have. Come and pl pluck it up and, and swallow it up and destroy it. Came back and found refuge in it. Nested in it, if you will. It's amazing what God can do. Again, this is incredibly encouraging to us in a world where it seems that everyone like Paul is trying to destroy biblical Christianity or at the very least marginalize it so that it means absolutely nothing. And it would be easy for us to become fearful of what lay ahead. For us to be afraid, for us to, to think, you know what, things are getting harder and harder and harder to be a Christian. And so we could, we could become afraid and fearful of the future. And that will happen if we lose sight of these truths. But the kingdom cannot be stopped, nor can its citizens, no matter what comes our way. No matter who is in power. No matter what direction this country goes. We need not fear or worry about what is coming down the pipe. Because God is in control, no matter what it may look like in the short term. Stay faithful. Trust him. Regardless of what it looks like externally, the kingdom of God is in you. And so we conclude here with verses 33 and 34. He was speaking the words of them with many parables like these. And they were, as they were able to understand, he did not speak to them without a parable. We catch this last sentence here. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. The kingdom of God is mysterious. There's a lot that you're going to read about in the word and just go, I don't get it. I mean, you're not going to understand it all and that's okay. It's mysterious in how it grows and expands, but the mystery of the Lord of the kingdom has been revealed. 
And he has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. As you continue in your journey, as you walk this walk, as you deal with all the challenges that come your way, you can know and you can rest, you can take it to the bank that he will be right there with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you. He will walk through every journey you have, every challenge you have, every storm that comes your way, and he will say, this is the way, walk in it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about The Gathering, or if you would like to hear more, please visit gatheringchattanooga.com. Thank you.